Good morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Merry Christmas. If you had any trouble paying attention, you shouldn't have any now. For the rest of the morning. Yes, yes. Some of you, to, this, to some of you, this sweater is just merely funny. Some of you know there's a deeper meaning to this sweater, and it's really funny to you. Uh, it has to do with our sermon series. Uh, this will not be the last time you see this sweater. You'll probably see it two more times, uh, I imagine, over the course of this thing. But um, I'm glad to be here. Uh, if you have your Bible, open to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I think this is the first time I've ever had a sermon prop that I wear in all the years that I've been preaching. I think this is the first time, so this is, this is a first for me. You guys get to, get to see that. Well, this morning, this morning we are beginning a new six-week series that is going to take us all the way up through Christmas Eve. Do I need to smile for you? <laughs> all the way up for Christmas. Do I need my lights to come on while we do that? As you, you may or may not have noticed, there's some great 80s retro-looking font that you see on the, the, the screen behind me. It was created in 1982. That's how long that font has been around. Uh, there, is the, uh, there was the uh, retro theme music that kind of gave me a buffer on the way up to the stage. And of course, I have this completely radical, ugly Christmas sweater from the 80s. And so, it's, uh, it, it is all going to set up what we're going to be talking about over the next six weeks. This series, Manger Things, is going to loosely play on some of the themes and some of the scenes from the, the hit Netflix drama that came out last year called Stranger Things. Now, some of you have seen it, some of you have not, but it was huge, and it's still huge. The second season came out just a few weeks ago, and people have been going crazy over it. Now, if you have not seen Stranger Things, I'll give you just a very brief synopsis without revealing anything to you in case you're planning to watch it. It is set in the fictional town of Hawkins, Indiana, in November of 1983. The nearby Hawkins Laboratory ostensibly performs scientific research for the United States Department of Energy, but secretly does, experience, does experiments into the paranormal and supernatural, including those that involve human test subjects inadvertently they have created a portal to an alternate dimension called the upside down the influence of the upside down starts to affect the uh, starts to affect the unknowing residents of hawkins in a calamitous way the show centers around these four somewhat nerdy middle school boys who are into sci-fi they're into Star Wars. They're into those huge brick walkie-talkies. They're into all of these things. They love 
science. They love talking with their science teacher about all of these, these different things. They love role-playing games. And one night, after an extremely long gaming session that took like 16 hours, the smallest of the boys, Will Byers, is on his way home, and it's dark. And while he is on his way home, he is abducted from a creature from this other dimension. This other dimension is known as the Upside Down. So then starts the, the manhunt, or, or the boy hunt, as it would be. His mother, Joyce, and the town's police, police chief, Jim Hopper, effort to search for Will. At the same time, a young psychokinetic girl named Eleven escapes from the laboratory and assists Will's friends, Mike, Dustin, and Lucas, in their efforts to find Will. Now then, is that a basic synopsis of it for those that have seen it without revealing too much? Good. Very good. Good. I'm glad. Uh, so that doesn't give away a whole lot in case you haven't seen this yet. Now then, I've been talking about this series for a couple of weeks. I've put some hints and teasers out there on Facebook, and I know from some of you that some of you, you are all in. You're fans of the show. You think my sweater is awesome. You love the theme music. Yeah, Doug likes it too. You love that, uh, that 80s retro stuff because for some of us, you know, that's when I mean, we were growing up in the 80s. You know, we remember a lot of these things. Uh, and so, you've, you know, I've, I've received Facebook messages from you. I've received text messages from you trying to figure out my angle like a month ago when I first mentioned it, trying to figure out where we were going to go in this series. Uh, they are all in. Others of you may be intrigued because you're not quite sure what we're talking about yet. And then I recognize that still there are others that are thinking, Stranger, what? You know, what's a Netflix? You know, there are other people, you, you know, you might be thinking that. But whether you're, you know, whichever category you fit in, probably all of you are sitting there thinking, you know, this is a really, really strange beginning to a Christmas series. Am I right? Yeah? You're right. Good. So the question then that you're asking is what's the connection? What's the connection between Stranger Things, a sci-fi show set in the 80s, and a six-week Christmas series? Well, good. I'm glad you hypothetically asked the question. Because the connection that I am most intrigued by is this, this scene or this, this place called the Upside Down. In the show, the Upside Down is an alternate, uh, an alternate dimension. Let me come over here and read this. An alternate dimension in, uh, in parallel to the human world. It contains the same locations and infrastructure as the human world, but it is much darker, colder, and obscured by an omnipresent fog. It is a corrupted and decayed form of the real world. Now that's going to be very important that we remember what the upside down is as we start today and we move through this series because it's that last sentence there that I really want us to focus on. The upside down is a corrupted and decayed form 
of the real world. And it's right there where we're going to, to make our connection. The upside down is, uh, is an overgrown, it's overgrown with ropey and, and root-like tendrils. Biological membranes covering practically every surface. There's at least one recognizable animal that is a, a humanoid predator that's native to this dimension while ash-like spores float through the air. So I see the parallel between the upside down, this, this corrupted and decayed form of the real world, and our world that we live in, the fallen state of the world. God, as we know, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And He created it beautifully, right? We experience the beauty of it. God created this garden and He set down Adam and Eve in it and He created all of these creatures and all of these things and He looked at everything and He said what? It is good. Eden. Eden means God's delight. Everything was beautiful, but we know what happens, don't we? Sin entered the world, and what did it do? It corrupted the world we live in. It's the, it's the upside down, spiritually speaking. Are you with me? That's the connection that I want to draw on for the next few minutes, and really for the next couple of weeks as we start trekking toward the birth of the Savior. Now, our Bible, our Bible's got some really strange stuff in it, doesn't it? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, come on, there is some really weird things in here, okay? Jackson was telling me a few weeks ago about a story they read in children's church about one of the judges, the left-handed judge Ehud. You remember that judge? And he went into the king and he kills the king and he stabs him with a sword and the king was so fat that it sucked the sword inside and nobody knew he was dying of a huge stab wound. That's weird. Right? What's the deal with Samson and that hair? He loses his strength if he cuts off his hair. That's weird. Okay? There are weird, strange things in our Bible, right? But for the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about some of these strange things. Some of these strange things that are some of the most important events to ever take place in the history of the world. So beginning today, we're going to be talking about a beautiful world that was corrupted by sin, murder, and evil. Along the way, we'll be talking about an upshoot nation that's supposed to be the light for all of mankind, but it fails to live up to the challenge and when it fails to live up to that challenge of being the light for all mankind, it slips further and further away from what God wanted it to be, going deeper and deeper into what? The upside down. But something is coming. Something off in the distance. There is the, the advent 
not just of, of something, but of, of someone more greater than anything that the world has ever known. We're going to talk about another strange thing. An unlikely geriatric pregnancy. That's strange, right? But we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about strange angelic encounters. We're going to talk about the birth of two baby boys. One that is going to set the stage and the other is going to change the world. Are you intrigued? Good. Because all of these things and more are coming as we trek our way through the story of God. Which is not just God's story, it is our story that we talk about over the next six weeks in major things. Now, if you're familiar with the show, you know, they don't just call them episodes. They divide up into chapters. And so, with no further delay, let's get into chapter one, beginning. If you've listened to me preach or teach or maybe even some of the things that I have written for any time, you know that I believe that the best way to, to approach the Bible is not so much as a, a rule book, not so much as, as guidelines. Now then, I, I think it does have those things. But I think the best way to approach the Bible is to view it as a story. To see it as a, a, a narrative. And since we're kind of basing this off of a... a a Netflix drama, we might even think of it as a five-act play that God has created. He's invested, He's incarnated. He's poured out and ultimately will consummate His drama for the sake of all the cosmos. The main actor in this drama is, is God, and we, as His children, we are invited to participate in that story. John Mark Hicks describes his first act, or chapters for our purpose, in this way. He says, the divine act of creation declares the intent of God. God created what He wanted for the purposes for which He wanted. The divine community created a human community with a cosmic reality. We see God's intent for communion. We see His purpose for humanity as representatives of divine life upon the earth. We are the, the images, the icons of God who participate in the divine task of, of creating and caring for the creation. We see the divine intent to rest in His creation, that is, to delight in, to enjoy and commune with His beloved world. But unfortunately... In the creation narratives, in early human history, we see humanity's movement as an ascension of autonomy. This is what happens in the garden. To their assumption of divine prerogatives. This is what takes place at Babel. With all the accompanying chaos, violence, oppression, and immorality that comes in the way of humanity's de degenerative spiral away from God. Doesn't that sound like a good start to a Christmas series? But 
But I think that's how our story has to begin. Because nobody likes to just come into a story in the middle of it, right? Because what happens when you come in in the middle of a story? You end up with confused thoughts. You end up not knowing what's happening. You might end up even commenting, not knowing what has taken place and say something that's totally crazy, totally boneheaded. I know this because I've done it a lot in my life. So we start back at the beginning. Way back in Genesis chapter 1, the, the first line of our story is what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it goes on to describe how He did all of these things throughout the, the six days of creation. And you get down there around verse 26, 27, and you have this this, this, this uh, nod to the Trinity as God says, let us, speaking of, of Jesus and the Holy Spirit there with Him, the heavenly council, saying, let us make man in our own image. And it says, though He did that, He created man in His image and in His likeness. And verse 28 says that God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. God sets Adam and Eve, His creations, down in His creation. But God isn't sitting there looking down on it from on high. God is there with His creation, dwelling with them. Life was beautiful. Adam and Eve communed daily with God. They subdued and they ruled over God's garden. They were literally the caretakers of the garden of God. Can you imagine what kind of job that would have been? To see all of these beasts and creatures and, and name them. To make sure the right stuff stayed in the garden and make sure the right stuff stayed out of the garden. They were the caretakers of God's delight. It was perfect until a fateful conversation with the serpent. We know how the story goes, don't we? Eve took the fruit. She said, looks good. She ate the fruit. She in turn gave some to Adam. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The one tree out of all the trees in the garden they weren't supposed to eat from. But they did. And, and in an instant... In an instant, the world, it seemed to change. It changed from the way that, that God intended it to be. It became corrupt. It became sinful. Listen to the way Genesis describes it. Genesis 3, verse 17. God said to the man, Because you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. You will 
eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust and you will return to dust. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like the upside down. The corrupt and decayed form of the world. Because now, once this sin enters the world, the world is no longer as God intended it, right? It's that corrupt version. It kind of looks like God's world, but it's not the world that God intended it to be. But there's another problem. There's another tree in the garden. And it's the tree of life. And as long as they have access to that tree, and they can eat the fruit of that tree, they'll live on forever. And so God has a decision to make, doesn't He? What is He going to do with Adam and Eve? He says, if they eat from this tree, they will live on. And so the Scripture says that, that He puts them out. Genesis 3, 22, The Lord God said, Since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was from which he is, was taken. That sounds really tough, doesn't it? You know, and for years and years and years, I always read this story and I thought about that as a punishment from God. I'd always looked at God banishing Adam and Eve as just this punishment as the worst thing that could possibly happen to them until i began to study a little bit more and still i was introduced to eastern orthodox theology that says this is not so much a punishment as it is a divine act of mercy and we've talked about these you know three or four months ago as we we, we looked at another series but think about this. Had Adam and Eve been allowed to stay in the garden and had access to the tree of life, they would have lived forever, right? But they would have lived forever in a fallen, corrupt, sinful state. And so God in His mercy banishes them, cuts them off from the tree of life because He refuses to allow His creation, His prized creation that was very good, He refuses to allow them to live in an eternally fallen state of existence. And so we can see this as a, as a, as a divine act of, of mercy when God chose to let them die. But now the world is different. The world is a, is a tough place and it's full of anger and it's full of rage and it's full of jealousy and it's spreading over and over and over again. It spread throughout the first family. Adam and Eve's boys, Cain and Abel. One seems to be a farmer, one seems to be a shepherd and they both make sacrifices to God and 
Cain offers fruit to God, and Abel offers the firstborn of his flocks. And one is acceptable and one is not. Cain's offering is not pleasing to God. But Abel's is. And so jealousy begins to turn because remember, the upside down, the corruption has fallen and settled in the world and is beginning to overtake people. And so Cain lures his brother out into a field and slaughters him. Look at Genesis 4, verse 8. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. We see how it's spreading. This is the first murder, the first homicide that's recorded in Scripture. Yet God doesn't God doesn't kill Cain. He spares Cain. He marks him so that if anybody messes with Cain, they're going to have to mess with God. They're going to have to deal with God. God protects Cain. And I wonder why, because that certainly is strange too, is it not? But the corruption of the world continues to spread. The upside down seems to be just taking over and now it has become worldwide. And we read something in Genesis chapter 6 that you only read one other time in all of Scripture as God looks around and He sees His world becoming corrupt, becoming less and less and less like the place He intended it to be. It says that God regretted making man. Can you imagine? God regretted making mankind. Starting in verse 5 of Genesis 6. When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil, all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth together with the animals, creatures that crawl, birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. Drop down to verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. Then God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to every creature for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. And we know how that story goes. Noah, for some reason, whatever he was doing, found favor in the sight of God. And so God destroys the entire world with a flood, save for Noah and his family. They're on the ark for this extended period of time. Finally, the land is suitable for them. 
They go out, God tells them again what he told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. And so they go and do that. They have the task, they have the task of repopulating the earth. And they manage to do it. Now the world is repopulated. The flood, it, it achieved its, its goal of the destruction of, of humanity, except for Noah and his family, but it failed in one big point. It failed to wipe out sin, greed, and corruption. The upside down is still there. The upside down lives on. Look at, look at Genesis chapter 11. Start in verse 1. The whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come. Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered throughout the earth. Then the Lord came down and he looked over the city and the tower that the humans were building. And the Lord said, if they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so they'll not be able to understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it is called Babylon. For there, the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. We still see the arrogance of mankind who wanted to, to get above themselves build this, this tower into the heavens to, to make a name for themselves. And God says, wait a minute, we've got to put a stop to this. And so he goes down and he, he mixes up the language. Now then, all these things that we've talked about, the creation, what happened in the, in the garden, the murder of, of Abel by his older brother Cain, the flood, the Tower of Babel story, all of that is only 11 chapters into the story. And you've got to admit, those are some pretty strange things, are they not? Those are some strange things that have happened. And we're just, I mean, we're just not even a fingernail's depth into, into this story. This is, this right here, this is, this is our Bible. And God invites us into this story. Even with all its messiness and all of its strangeness. Because I imagine that you, just like me, can relate to some of the stuff that was going on here, right? I mean, we understand what it's like to be arrogant, don't we? We understand what it's like to be jealous and to want to hurt somebody. 
We understand what it's like to be tempted and to give in to that temptation. So we see as we read through this story, we see this is, it's not just a book of things that happened a long time ago. We see that we can locate ourselves among its pages. We find ourselves in this strange book. God created the, a world of beauty and, and order. Yet we corrupted it and we turned it upside down with, with sin and arrogance. And what we sit back and, and say is what will happen next? What will happen? Just as, as any good filmmaker or any good playwright any good writer would leave the story open-ended so must we as we say come back and join us next week for chapter two to see how this crazy weird strange series called manger things is going to take us all the way to the birth of the Savior. let's pray together